Let's take our Bibles together to the Old Testament. We've been going through a book in the New Testament verse by verse, so let's go to the book of Micah. Would you find the prophet Micah in your Bible with me? There's a whole, there are many reasons and many things the Lord wants to do in our lives when we go to church. He wants to work on our hearts, that's a certainty, and... Um, he gives us an opportunity to praise Him and worship Him together. But another reason that we go to church, or we should, is really to get a Bible education. I think that, that it's been misconceived that people go to a Bible college to get an education. I think every saved person ought to have a Bible education. And I think one of the places you get that is in church, or you should. And by preaching verse by verse through the Bible, it gives us that teaching and learning of the Bible that we need. I wonder how many Christian people have gone to church 30, 40 years, and there's never been a minor prophet even open to them and preached to them. And so there's so much of the Bible to learn. And one of the things I think God wants us to learn is, is every book of his word. And so we're going to be going through the book of Micah on Wednesday night. There's, there's only seven chapters in this prophet. There's 105 verses uh, the name Micah means who is like Jehovah. This prophet was a contemporary of Isaiah. If you have a Schofield Bible, it's easy to keep these prophets straight. Uh, you just go to the page right before the book of Isaiah, and it breaks down all the prophets between either they prophesied before Israel went into the captivity or they prophesied during the captivity of Israel or they prophesied after the captivity of Israel. And uh, it gives the dates and all that. So our prophet Micah that we're looking at tonight, he and Isaiah were buddies. You know it's a good thing that you don't have to serve the Lord by yourself. Isn't it a wonderful thing that there's somebody that believes like you do and is standing with the, for the same God that you're standing for? Isaiah was not alone. Micah was there with him. And they're both, both prophets in Judah. Nahum also, he's, he's right there contemporary with him as well. So th these guys are, are like-minded. They're preaching, and you can even see some of their messages the same. But by the way, you always know, if somebody has the same God and is in tune with him, you would think that they would have the same, the same prophets or the same preachers would have the same themes of preaching to the people. Because it, though they're different people, they have the same God that's trying to get a message across to that generation. Don't you see a conflicting message going on to the generation that we live in? There's no doubt what the problems of our generation is. It would to God that the preachers would be on the same page, you see. But, but, and Micah and Isaiah, they're on the same page. That's, that's not the same way today. Of course, the Lord doesn't send everybody. 
Some people are prophets of their own imagination, but Micah was a prophet sent by God. And if you look, we'll start reading in verse number one. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came to Micah the Merashthite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he prophesied during three reigns, three different kings in Judah. Now the Bible says he's prophesying which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So now during his days you have a divided kingdom. You have a northern kingdom and the capital of that kingdom is Samaria. That's why you have that word in verse number 1. The capital of the southern kingdom, the, the, the kingdom of Judah, is Jerusalem. And so there are two separate capitals, though he's a prophet in the south, in the southern kingdom. He's going to be preaching mainly, most of his messages are going to be directed to the people in the north. And that's because the northern kingdom is going to go into captivity first. The judgment of God is coming to them first. And so the message of the word of God is trying to get to them before they're totally decimated. And um, it almost seems like that. You can see that even in our nation. I, I think there are some parts of our nation that are a lot more ripe for the judgment of God than other parts. And I would just, I, I know that every part of our nation is godless and in need of God, but I want to say that I am glad that I'm in the southern kingdom. Amen. I, I'm serious. I, I'm glad because I know where the judgment's going first. And Micah finds himself in this situation. He is, he's in a better place. He's, he's got, during a big part of his preaching, Hezekiah is his king. That's a good king. But he not only makes a difference in preaching to the northern heathen kingdom, but he makes a difference right where he's preaching. And I want you to notice verse number one again. It's a little a little odd what God says about how God brought his message to Micah. The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Merashtite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, watch it, which he saw. The word of the Lord came to Micah in a picture. It doesn't say the word of the Lord came to Micah that he heard. Now, normally when God sends a prophet, he'll speak in his ear. Or he'll show up and talk to him and tell that prophet what to say. But this scripture says that the word of the Lord that came to Micah, it's something that he saw. Now, I don't know if God let him see the words or if God let him see the pictures of what was going to happen. When you read some of the prophecies in the Bible, I believe that God spread out, as it were, a panorama, panorama and just let them watch what was going to happen. I, I believe God could play, amen, the future just like it was a present day picture show movie. And he saw something. Now that intrigues me because what he's going to try to get to do, what he's going to try to do with his ministry is to get other people to see it. 
Have you noticed some people don't see things that you see? Have you ever heard somebody say, man, they just don't see it? Well, this prophet saw the word of God and he's trying to get others to see it. Now, he's a very successful prophet. Now, you may think this is just an out-of-the-way piece of literature in the back of the Bible, but hold your place there and go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 26. Micah was a great prophet. He was such a great prophet that Jeremiah, 150 years after he died, tells us a story. Jeremiah's not just talking about the prophet but all of the rulers of Israel still remember Micah 150 years after he's dead. And they're not right with God, but they remembered what Micah preached. Watch this here. In, in Isaiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 26, the Bible says in Jeremiah 26, we start reading in verse number, um, number 16. Now, here in this text, all, all of the princes and the people and the priests are mad at Jeremiah because Jeremiah is preaching the judgment of God to, to the last remnant of his people because they've not done right. And they're all mad at him. And they want to take his life. They're tired of his preaching. And the Bible says in verse 16, Then said the princes and all the people and the priests and to the prophets, This man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then rose up certain of the... So they're they're debating and they're arguing about whether to kill Jeremiah. Verse 17, Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah... The Merashite prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spake to all the people of Judah. So he didn't just preach to the heathen northern tribes. He spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of a forest, sitting 19. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah and all Judah, put him at all to death? Did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord? And the Lord repented him of the evil which he had pronounced against them. Thus might we procure great evil against our souls. So while they're debating about what to do with Jeremiah, they rise up and say, let's be careful. Don't you remember Micah preaching and Hezekiah, the good king, and all the people they started seeking God because of his preaching. And they, they humbled themselves before the Lord. And they feared the Lord. And they repented. And God changed his mind about the judgment that he was going to bring. That's 150 years after that guy died. Let me ask you a question. 150 years after you're dead, will anybody even know it? You know what that tells me? Here's a guy named Micah. He's not a very popular prophet. I mean, if you'd, if you'd have a little, uh, little game of calling out prophets' names, he probably wouldn't even get called. He'd get left out. And yet he had such a dynamic ministry that 150 years after his death, they're still talking about the impact that he made 
for God in his country. And his testimony looks like saves Jeremiah's hide. Now that's that's this guy we're talking about. I you know what and I, I find that I find that striking too. Hezekiah is a good king, he's a godly king. But he needed to repent too. You see, the prophecies of Micah aren't just to the terrible heathen people up in Samaria. His message is also for his own household and for the good king that needed to humble himself before the Lord too. And so I, I just want to say I appreciate Micah. He, he, he has a testimony that goes a lot farther than is giving him credit. And God Almighty turned his judgment away from Judah in response to the ministry of this man. And so that's who we're reading tonight. He somehow got Hezekiah to see what he saw. He got Judah to see the message that he saw from God. And I think that's all of our our duty and our jobs to try to get people to see what he has shown to us, that our influence would be more and greater than it even is. Now, if, as you go back to the book of Micah, as he begins to try to get people to see what, what God let him see, some have bro- broken this book up into three sections. In verse number two, he starts with here. All ye people. And that will run all the way to chapter 3 in verse number 1, where again he says, And I said, Hear, I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel. And then the third section, chapter 6, if we would break it up that way, in Micah chapter 6, verse 1, Hear ye now what the Lord Say it. So he's constantly trying to get people to hear the word of God, not hear his opinion, but to see what God has shown him from the Bible. Now let's let's look at verse two again of chapter one as we go through it. The Bible says, Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth. He wants everybody to listen, the whole world, not just the people in the kingdoms that he's preaching to. Hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and watch this. And let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Micah says this, will you let God witness to you? Now, around here at our church, we talk about being witnesses for the Lord. We ought to witness. That is a responsibility of every Christian. We're to witness. And I thank God for Christians that witness. When we witness to somebody, a lot of times it's difficult, isn't it, to get them to hear you. Micah says this, will you hear not my witness, but will you let the Lord witness to you? Will you let him be a witness in your life? Will you put God, let God get up on the witness stand and testify to you? And about you. I wonder if God testified about us what he would say. What would his testimony be? 
Now, some of his witness probably would be negative. You look at the verse, it says, and let the Lord God be witness against you. There's probably some things that God, if we would let him, would testify against us. Against our behavior. Against our attitude. You know, so many times people want to be justified or they want to hear what others think about their life or, or their doings. But we ought to really be interested in God's witness to us about what he thinks about our lives and our witness and our, or our attitude and our way of life. Micah says, will you hear God's witness? Now watch this little phrase in verse 2. Let something you've got to allow. I mean, most people won't do that. They won't let God witness to them. They, they, they won't hear anything God has to say about them. Let God witness. Let the Lord be witness against you. Watch this now. The Lord... From his holy temple. Micah said, would you let the Lord witness to you from his holy temple? So the Lord is way up there in his holy temple, but he wants to speak to you from his temple down here. Look, God is a, is a million miles away from this earth, but he still desires to communicate to us from his temple, from his throne. But this, this is why we don't hear him. We don't hear him not because it's a long way. Look at Habakkuk, another little prophet. Habakkuk chapter 2, just keep going toward the back. <laughs> Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now, if God wants to witness to us from his holy temple, it's probably a good idea if we would get quiet enough to hear what he has to say. I think a lot of times people... Do not hear the witness of God in their lives, though he's way up there in the third heaven. God that made us has no problem speaking plainly a million miles away. He's God. He's not limited. He wants to talk to you. But he, you're not going to hear his witness if you don't keep silence. I really think that we have to have so much noise because we are so nerve-wracked and on edge that if we got still enough, long enough, we would either go crazy or we would hear God talk to us. People have to have the TV on or the radio on or their phone running or they got to talk on the phone. I mean, people can't even ride in the car without noise. How long has it been since you've just got silent and let God speak to you from His holy temple to witness to your heart? There's a lot of times 
in services that I've been preached at that uh, maybe at the invitation or even during the service, it got so quiet it was uncomfortable. If anybody knows what I'm talking about. So a lot of people think that real spirit-filled high services are when people are shouting and running the benches. And I'm all for that. Praise God for that. But you know what? When God is really talking, when we all shut up. Do you like to talk when somebody else is talking? I, I, I just basically refuse to do it. In other words, if somebody just can't stop and listen... Why am I going to, I like I like watching college football. Brother Ralph got on to me in front of his whole church because I told him I was watching college football. He probably just, anyway, I, I just, that's my vice, that's my vice. I mean, I just, I like it, you know. So, but what drives me crazy, they'll get on there and five people be talking at the same time and it just, Hush! I mean, the noise is just, stop. Nobody's getting anything. I think that's the chaos of life in this world. There is so much noise and people don't dare to get quiet enough before God and get silent enough so God can witness to them. Do you know... In the prayers of most people in the Bible, Jesus included, there wasn't a lot of words said. How could Jesus pray most of the night in Gethsemane and so say so very few words? And not matter of fact, that's why I think those disciples went to sleep. There's some people that if they get still, if it gets quiet, bang. And you see, that, that's the danger of prayer time. Prayer time is not just you talking to God. Matter of fact, some people talk to God to stay awake. <laughs> but part of praying is not just for you talking to God, but also for God to talk back to you. Matter of fact, I think it's probably twice as important for you to hear what God is trying to say than for God to hear what you're trying to say. I mean, what are we going to tell him? (laughs) What are we going to inform him about? He wants us to talk to him. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm just saying in the Bible, when people would really meet with God, they'd talk to God and they'd get quiet. And we can't do that because we're, we're so much in chaos, we can't get still that long. I mean, you, you see it start in kids at early ages, you know, where they do. Just can't be still. Can't be still. Can't be silent. So if God is really going to talk to us from his holy temple, since it's so far away, we have got to be silent. We've got to be quiet. Long enough to hear what he thinks about it. I have been in some very uncomfortable prayer meetings where where people would pray around an altar of prayer and they would be long spaces of silence. 
And people would think that would be unusual or uncomfortable. But it's really a place where God wants us to be. If He's going to witness to us. If I just keep talking, then maybe I won't hear what He has to say. That's why most people can't sit all the way through a sermon. They can't sit still long enough to be silent long enough without them hearing themselves talk. I think some people keep themselves sane by talking. I think some people have to talk to keep. That's not the testimony of what we're getting here. Let God be a witness to you from his holy temple. And if he's going to witness to you, you've got to get quiet enough where you can hear him. Let's go back to our text. He said in Micah chapter 1, well, what's his, what's his, what's his message? He says, uh, let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Now watch verse 3. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place. Now, he said, I tell you what, you better listen to him while he's up there. Because when he comes down here, you're going to be in trouble when he gets down here. It's almost like, you know, dad said, don't let me come up, come over there. Do you want me to come down there? Here God is trying to talk to us from His holy temple. He's trying to talk to His people from His holy temple. But the message is, in the first part of Micah, is about the coming of the Lord. He's coming down here. And if He's coming down here, you better listen to Him before He gets down here. Verse number 3, For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of His place, and will come down. Mm. You know, that's not only scary, but that's comforting. (laughs) You know, the only hope of this planet is for the Lord to come down here. And He's coming down here. But when he comes down here, there's going to be a host of judgment. And that's what the passage is about. It shows how the coming of the Lord is going to bring judgment. That little phrase, behold, the Lord cometh. That's a big phrase in the Bible. You'll find that in several places. Micah's buddy Isaiah said the same thing. In Isaiah 26, behold, he cometh, he said. You find that over in the book of Jude when we were preaching the book of Jude. Remember that? Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So that's the first, that's the principle you got to find out or understand about the coming of the Lord. The Lord's coming with his saints. He's also coming with clouds. Hold your finger here. Look at Revelation chapter 1. This is not the rapture of the church. This is coming of the Lord with his... How do you know? You just look what it says. So when we talk about the coming of the Lord, you have to understand, is the Lord coming with me or is the Lord coming for me? That is not the same event. God can't come with you and for you at the same time. I mean, you don't even have to know theology to understand that. If he's coming with you, that means you're already where he's he's at. And by the way, he's coming from heaven. So if he's coming with all his saints, how'd that happen? We had to come for him before he could come with them. But in Revelation chapter 1 is that behold. I mean, it's, it's just a phrase that God's trying to get everybody's attention. Behold! 
I wish you could see this, you see. Micah saw it. He's trying to get everybody else to see it. I don't think people see that God is coming soon back to this planet. I don't think that's on their mind. That they're thinking about their health insurance and they're thinking about their taxes and they're thinking about their job and their, right? They're not thinking about the, behold, the Lord cometh. Oh, they've been talking about that forever and he's not here yet. He says in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 7, Behold, he cometh, there it is again, with clouds. Now this is how you know it's not coming for his people. And every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail, shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. That's the coming of the Lord to the earth. Everybody's going to see him. It's not just going to be his people. When he comes to get us out of here, everybody's not going to see that. They're not even going to know what happened. But when he comes to this earth, every eye is going to see him. Even the people, even the people that crucified him, that wounded him, according to that text. Now, you know what that means? That means that God is even going to open hell up and let them see him come. When Jesus comes to this earth, every eye is going to say, you say, oh, that's impossible. There's not a TV screen big enough. <laughs> you don't understand God, my friend. If God can perform a resurrection and get atoms all back together that have been strode out into the universe and all over through the sea, amen, he doesn't have a problem, amen, letting every eye see his son when he comes back to this earth. Every eye. And those that pierced him, let everybody in hell that... Let, 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 let him that pierced him. Let him see him. Now that's not going to happen when he comes for us. That's going to happen when he comes with us. But look at, uh, look at Song of Solomon. I like this one. This shows the two aspects of the coming of the Lord. He's coming with us, but he has to come for us before he can come with us. And there's going to be a time of judgment in between those. In the book of Song of Solomon... Song of Solomon is, somebody asked me to teach in Song of Solomon. I think they had an agenda by asking me to do that. I'm not going to do that. The book of Song of Solomon is about married life. But here it's such a unique book. Because Solomon is the son of David. Jesus is called the son of David. This book, really, it looks like, of course, you know, Solomon married a whole bunch of women. (laughs) Right? And not all of them were Israelites. And I don't think this one was. I think she was a Gentile. But he only, (laughs) of all his wives, he only wrote one book about one woman. She must have had a real special place in his heart. He could have written a book about a thousand women. He wrote about this woman. I think it's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his, Gentile, and his bride that he's gathered out, not just from the nation of Israel, but all over the face of the earth. Now, now watch, watch this, though. Let me get to my little behold, he cometh. In Song of Solomon, chapter 2, the Bible says in verse number 8, this is, this is the, the bride talking about her groom coming for her. 
the voice of my beloved. Behold, he cometh. I hear him. I hear his voice. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. There's coming a day he's coming for his people. He's coming for his bride. And she says, the voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh. Watch it. Leaping upon the mountain. Skipping upon the hill. You see the joy of her beloved that's coming to get her. Verse number nine. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. He said, my beloved is looking down through the window to see me. Verse 10, my beloved spake, watch it, watch it, and said unto me, rise up, my love. (laughs) If you can't see that picture of a resurrection, you're just not reading very close. Rise up, my love, my fair one, watch it, and come away. See, he's coming for his bride. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. All the bad stuff is over for you. The flowers appear on there. The time of the singing of the birds is come. And the voice of the turtles heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs. The vine. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. What a beautiful picture of behold he cometh for his bride. But Micah is giving us the picture of behold he cometh to this earth. And this is what he says back to our text. Would you go there? Verse 3, for behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. He's going to come and tread. Revelation says he's going to tread the winepress of the wrath of God. He's going to tread. Isaiah mentioned that in Isaiah 63, over and over again, it says, uh, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fed? I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there was none. I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled on my garments, and I will stain all my raiment for the day of vengeance is in my heart. He says it again, verse 6, I will tread down the people in mine anger. The coming of the Lord. You, you would think people would see and listen and know that God is going to come back to his creation and there is a payday and there is a righting of all wrongs. And there needs to be preparation for his coming. Micah is saying, you better listen to him speak from his holy temple. But he's coming down out of his place. And when he comes down, he's going to start treading. I I, I think, and I know know the world laughs at that. You know, they they make movies with the guy holding up the sign saying the end is near. And they laugh and say, ah, isn't that funny? Guys, the end is nearer than it's ever been. I'm glad I'm looking for the Lord to get me out of here. But still... What a serious, serious time is just around the corner for this world. 
What's going to happen? Verse number four. What are the effects of his second coming? Michael 1 verse 4. And the mountains shall be molten under him. And the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire. And as the waters that are poured down a steep place. The Bible says when God Almighty touches this planet, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in his, not in the clouds for us, but when his feet touch back down here. You remember what we preached in the book of Zechariah chapter 14? His feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. You do remember when Jesus was taken up into heaven. The angel said, he's going to come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. The feet of Jesus took off of this planet from the Mount of Olives. I've been there. And his feet is going to land in the same exact spot when he gets back. But when his feet touch the ground, the Mount of Olives is going to rend in twain and divide asunder all the way down to that temple of Jerusalem. The very touching of his feet on the planet is going to change geography because the creator now has stepped back down on the planet. He spoke mercifully when he came the first time. He'll he'll speak in judgment when he comes again. Just turn over to... uh, you're in Micah. Turn over to Nahum again. Nahum chapter 1. Get Nahum chapter 1 and just get another one of these prophets. Get Amos. I always like Amos, you know. Amos is a good prophet to read. Get Amos chapter 9 and Nahum chapter 1. When the Lord comes back to this planet, the Bible says, as Micah has prophesied, the mountains are going to melt. The valleys are going to go in two. <laughs> Like wax before the fire. In uh, Nahum chapter, Nahum chapter 1 verse 5, look at it. The mountains shall quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Revelation tells us that there's, his eyes are a flame of fire and there's going to be a fire that's going to come out of his mouth. That's why the Bible said in the book of Micah that all this is going to melt before the fire. Wax before the fire. He's coming with fire. I said also the book of Amos, Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9, scripture with scripture. The Bible says in verse 5, Amos 9 verse 5, and the Lord God of hosts, watch it, is he that toucheth the land, and it shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn, and it shall rise up holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heaven and found it. He said, this, this is the creator, and when he puts his feet, when he touches the land, it's just going to melt like wax. You know what? I guarantee you, that those ladies that got down there at those feet and washed them with their tears, what a the same feet that are going to melt the planet, they got to cry at his feet and wash those feet, those powerful feet. Those same feet that they nailed to a tree when they touched this planet, the mountains are just going to melt like wax. Oh, what a Savior. What a powerful Lord. Can't wait till he comes. Nobody's going to be able to stand before him. The mountain can't even stand before him. The earth can't even hold up before him. It just, man, he's so holy, he's so powerful, the earth just starts melting away. 
Yeah, watch all the Marvel movies you want. You won't find you, that ain't you, that ain't got a candle. And this is real. Amen. This isn't fake stuff. This is real. Look at uh, Psalm chapter ninety-seven. Just a few more minutes, we'll be done. Psalm ninety-seven. This earth is going to melt. Psalm 97, Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. <laughs> Amen. We're tired of all the booger man being in charge. We're tired of all the dishonest, perverted, wicked people ruling. Wait till he comes. Amen. The Lord reigneth. Let all the earth rejoice. Let the multitudes of the isles be glad thereof. Verse 3, a fire goeth before him. You see that? Burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the earth, the world. The earth saw and trembled. Look verse 5. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Now if the earth melts, now watch this. It doesn't stop just with the geography. Psalm 68, the Bible said, verse number one, verse number one, Psalm 68, verse one, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let them also that hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away, so drive them away, watch your, watch your Bible, as wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Not only is, it, not only is the planet going to start melting when he puts his feet but the wicked are going to melt away. I won't even tell you what happened this week. But I, I did what I've been doing. These, these uh, weirdos, these perverts, these people, whatever they do, that keep sending random texts to you, you know. And so my habit is I start witnessing. And then that takes care of it. <laughs> You don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. You, you, you start sending scripture back and all of a sudden they just quit texting. But that didn't happen this past week. <laughs> I got one, I sent that, and it went away. And then somebody else sent me another one and I sent the same thing. And I was on there for about 20 minutes with that guy that was playing to be a woman. You know how it goes, right? Come on, you, you guys know how it goes, don't you? And I'm texting him. And I'm telling you what. I thought I was getting somewhere for a while. And then all of a sudden the thing changed. And he started saying the most vile things about Jesus Christ that you've ever read or heard in your life. And the things that were popping up on my phone, I said, I, I, can't, I can't even let that hit my phone anymore. I deleted that. I blocked that. But what I started thinking about, all the hatred and blasphemy and vitriol at Jesus Christ, when he shows up in the flesh, not only is the world going to melt, the wicked is going to melt in his presence. And all of their bluster is going to fade away that fast. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And I, I don't have a problem with that because I've already bowed the knee. <laughs> Amen. And I rejoice at it. But this world's not going to rejoice at it. They're going to melt at it. 